You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is our last week, week 4 of 4 of a series we've been on. Uh, looking at uh, this this question of contentment and having enough in life and uh, and and knowing that what God has given us is is what we really need and so we've been we've been exploring the connection for the last four weeks about the the connection between generosity and and uh, and contentment because really there's there's only two approaches you can really have towards having enough in life. Uh, one is you just try to get more. That's how you can grow in contentment. You just try to get more, and if you get enough, then maybe you'll finally get get content in life and if you just get a bigger garage and you get a bigger closet and you just get more and accumulate more then maybe that's the the road you take towards contentment but the thing about that approach which is what most people do um, that approach doesn't actually lead to contentment it just leads to wanting more and more and more and more and so another approach the Jesus approach that we've been exploring is that you don't find uh, that you have enough and you have contentment in your life because uh, you have accumulated enough, but because um, you, you give more. You don't have enough because you've, you've gotten more, but because you give more. Jesus said things like, uh, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And um, in the kingdom of God, what you find is that contentment and generosity are, are two sides of the same coin. And so we've been looking at this, this connection between generosity and contentment over, over this series and, and exploring what this means for us is how we grow into this. And so today we're going to go one more um, thought here I want to share with you. We're going to go to second Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read um, several places here in 2 Corinthians. We're going to start here in 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians, as we get going to this, this is a letter. It was written by Paul. And whenever you're reading one of these letters, it's always important to remember that you're reading something that was written by a real person to real people for a specific purpose. Like this, these letters were written for, for purposes. And, and one of the purposes, one of the reasons why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians is because he was fundraising and he was trying to raise money for uh, some folks in Jerusalem, some Christians in Jerusalem who were going through a famine. And he was trying to raise money through the Greek churches to help care for these Jewish Christians and, and for us all to share the burdens together. And so in 2 Corinthians, two chapters, chapter eight and nine, he, he writes specifically about this fundraising effort that he has. And we're gonna read some of this today. And I want you to see as we read through this, there's gonna be a strong connection here between contentment and generosity and how we grow in this. And so we're going to start in chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read some here, then we're going to jump to chapter 9 by the end here. But here's here's how it starts. Paul writes this, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, we're reading 2 Corinthians, so this is to the Corinthians in Corinth, but he's writing about the Macedonians. So just make sure you got that straight. So here's what he says about the Macedonians, verse 2. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, we just learned a tremendous amount about the Macedonian Christians, and there's just this, this one verse. What we learned here in short is that their life is, is really hard. You look here and you see phrases like uh, severe trial, extreme poverty. This is how Paul's describing them. They've got a hard life, these Macedonians do. And this word extreme in particular is fascinating to me. It's the Greek word bathos. And the Greek word bathos is, uh, can be translated as extreme like we do here. It can also be translated, it's the word that's used to describe the depth of the ocean. It's how you measure the deepness of the ocean, which is a fascinating idea to me that this is how Paul describes their poverty. Their poverty is like how the ocean is deep. I mean, there's broke and then there's deep of the ocean broke. 
And that is broke, broke. These people are broke. They are as broke as the ocean is deep. And, and in English, we, we, we say a similar idea. We say it like this. Uh, they're in over their heads or uh, uh, they're in the deep end. This is the kind of thing. They're in deep. We, we kind of use the same kind of language. And this is the Macedonians. They are in over their heads. They are in the deep end. They are drowning. This is the same kind of thing that they're going through. And this is how he describes them, that this is, this is the place that they're at. So, so they are in extreme poverty. They have severe trials. And then listen, though, to how Paul describes these folks as we keep reading through here. Verse 3, he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. This is to the fundraising effort to these Jerusalem Christians who are struggling. They gave as, as much as they were able and even beyond their abilities. Like I didn't expect them to give much because they're in over their heads, but they gave far more than I thought they were going to. And he says it is entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Now, when was the last time you urgently pleaded to give money away? It's like, it's been a while for me, but they were urgently pleading. It's like, no, 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 send it back my way. Let's do the offering again. Who, who's ever wanted to do the offering a second time? This is the Macedonians. They want to do it a second time and a third time. They're urgently pleading to give more money away. Verse five, and says, and they exceeded our expectations. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus. Titus is one of Paul's associates who helps him a lot. We urged Titus, just as he had done earlier, uh, made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So now it's their turn, the Corinthians' turn to give. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, the, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I want you to catch that last phrase here. Excel in this grace of giving. Notice this, generosity is something that you grow into. It's something that is cultivated. It's something that you develop. It is something that you grow in. Just, just like you grow in faith, just like you grow in speech, just like you grow in knowledge and love, just all these things Paul just listed here, all of these things are things that you grow into as you grow spiritually. And as you grow spiritually, you should be able to look back at your life, maybe not last week, but you, maybe if you look over the long haul of your life, over three, five more years, you should be able to see that your faith is different, the way you speak is different, that your knowledge is different, your love is different. In the same way, your generosity should be different. Generosity is, is something that you grow in as a Christian. And it's something that you should be able to look back on your life and see how you are growing in deeper generosity. You're going to excel in this grace of, of giving. This is one reason why we're collecting commitment cards this morning. Because commitment cards are, are about cultivating this growth within us. And I am convinced that spiritual growth, spiritual growth, doesn't matter what area of life you want to grow in spiritually, spiritual growth never happens on accident. It always happens when you cultivate something, when you tend to it, when you pay attention to something, when you focus on something and you grow this in, within you. Whatever this might be, whether it's prayer or generosity or anything, you have to cultivate this life, this change within you. And this is what Paul's saying here. So excel grow into cultivate this grace of giving that is within that, that God is calling you to grow into this thing. And so, and so cultivate it, pay attention to it. Um, this is why we did those commitment cards. So we can cultivate this kind of thing. Verse eight, let's keep reading here. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want you, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then verse nine it says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Verse nine is so important. I'm going to read it again. I want you to really hear this. And when I read it this time, actually, we're just going to put on the screens. I want you to read it with me. This is just so important. I want you to read this out loud with me. Verse nine, here we go. Let's say this together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So let's just leave this on the screen for a few moments. We're going to talk about this verse because it is just so, so important. Um, there is a temptation that when you read through 2 Corinthians, this chapter 8 that we just read through, it's a temptation to read through this and to think that it's about something that it's not actually about. Like it's, it's tempting to read this and to think that what Paul is writing here is that this is, this is about something that it's, it's not really about. Do you ever find yourself in conversations where you're talking to somebody about something and then halfway through the conversation, you realize that the thing you're talking about is not actually the thing you're talking about? Like there's a thing that is the conversation is about, and then there's the thing that's behind the thing, and then you realize you're actually talking about something much deeper than you thought you were talking. This happens to me all the time, and maybe it's just my line of work that, that I, I realize that I'm having a conversation with somebody, and there's like the thing we're talking about, and then I just start to realize, oh, no, 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 no. There's much deeper water here that we're actually talking about the thing that's behind the thing. There's, there's something far deeper here. This happens to me. Like, like someone will ask me, I don't know, Spencer, um, you know, what does the Bible say about X, Y, or Z? And, and I'll, I'll start to answer and I'll tell them like, oh, the Bible says this or this or this, or you can go to this place and read the Bible. It's like, I don't know, it's forgiveness. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? I'll say, oh, you should go read, you know, the Lord's Prayer, for instance. What, what does Jesus say about the Lord's Prayer? And, and I answer like, they were asking me a reference verse. And then I, I start to talk to them a little bit more and you realize, oh, no, 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 we don't, they're not asking a reference question. They're actually talking about this thing that happened to them in their life and they're struggling to forgive this person because it really hurts and they have all this pain in their life. Or, and, and, and you realize that, like there's a thing and then there's a thing behind the thing, the thing that this is, is really about. And so it's tempting to read 2 Corinthians 8 and what we just read and to think that this is about one thing, but it's actually about something else altogether. You see, it's tempting to read 2 Corinthians 8 and to think that what Paul's talking about here is about money. It's tempting to think that, that what he's, he's writing about is money. After all, he's talking about the Macedonians giving. He's talking about growing and giving. He's talking about this fundraising effort. He's talking about their, their habits of giving. And so it's tempting to read 2 Corinthians 8 and to think that what this is about is about money. But it's not about money. There's about something so much deeper than money. There's, there's the thing and then there's the thing that's behind the thing. And so to prove this to you, Look what he wrote in verse nine. We read it out loud just a second ago. I wanted you to really catch it. And when we read this out loud, and just a second ago, here's, here's what that verse said. It said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what this is really about. And so what, what is Paul describing here is he's describing in, in shorthand what we might call the gospel that Jesus, the son of God, who lived eternally with the angels, praising him and adoring him, the, the one who is existence himself, who, who is and was and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, that he himself who created all things, that he chose to become like one of us, was born and lived um, an, in, uh, an obscure life where he was neither wealthy nor powerful. And, and then he eventually gave his life in a gruesome way for you and for me that we might have life eternal and life abundant. This is the shorthand story of, of the gospel is what Paul is describing here, that Jesus did something for you that you might have life eternal and life abundant, this, this gift that he has given to you. This is what this is really about. 
the gift that God has given to you that you might have life eternal and life abundant. This is what this is really about, this gift. Now, biblically, the word we use for that gift is, is grace, that God has given us grace. Grace is um, just a word we use that, that means it's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or could have done or should have done or might have done or will do or, or any of those things. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter anything at all. Just simply this, that God has given to you a gift of his son given for you. And this gift, all he wants from you with this gift is he just, he just wants you to receive it. He just wants to offer it to you and he just wants you to open your heart to it and just receive it. This is, this is the promise of that famous verse, John chapter three, verse 16, right? For God so loved you. He loved the world. He loved me. He loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave the gift. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes or trusts or just simply receives this gift might have life eternal. This is the, the gift that God's giving you. This is what Paul is actually writing about here. This, this isn't about money. This is about grace. This is about the gift that God is offering to you. And, 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 and this is about the, this offer that he just wants you to receive the gift that he has for you. But you know what? We get this confused a lot. And it's very easy to start to think that this is about money. And when you start to think that this is about money, we end up in a place that... Uh, that that robs us of the life that God has for us and the joy that God has for us. And, and we, we end up in a place that, that, that misses the depth and the beauty of what this is actually about. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Um, I've, a few Sundays ago, uh, two Sundays ago, I think, we preached a, a, a message, a, ser a sermon about tithing. And I shared just a very basic biblical idea of tithing in a, in, a, in a very short way. And I talked about how in the Bible, there's this idea that uh, everything we have, everything we have in life is from the Lord. Psalm 24 says this, that the earth is the Lord and the, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything we have is the Lord's. And he's given it to us for us to manage it. The biblical word is to steward it. And I talked about that, how our job is to manage what is actually God's to begin with and one of the basic ways we do this is we give back to the Lord his, for his work. We, we tithe. It's the 10% of our, of our income goes back to the Lord. This is a very biblical uh, way of, of thinking and, and how to practice our, our generosity. And, and we talked about how, though, with the tithe, biblically, it's not just any 10% goes back to the Lord. And biblically, it's the first 10%. It's the principle of the first fruits. We talked about that two weeks ago and how in biblical times, farmers would bring their sheep and their goats and their, their harvest. And it was the first 10% of their harvest that went to the Lord, not, not, the, not the leftovers, the part they're never going to want because God's not interested in the leftovers of our life. He wants the first part of our life, the best part of our life. That's what he wants from us. And so we talked about this idea of, of tithing. And I, I've, I've served in five different churches. And in five churches, I've preached that same message, that this is what biblical obedience looks like with our money, that, that we begin with this concept of tithing. And um, in each one of those churches, I've always had people come back with a question. I bet it's a question you've asked too. Because it's a question I've asked, and it's a, it's a fine question. I, it, it was a well-intentioned question, but every time I've, I've preached that sermon, and by the way, as your pastor, I'm going to keep preaching that sermon because I believe that this is what God calls us to, and I believe our lives are better off when we do um, practice tithing. But in every church that I've ever preached that sermon, I, I always get this follow-up question. Okay, Spencer, 
So tithing, 10%. Is that pre or post-tax? <laughs> Gross or net? Which, which one is it? Right? I need, to, I need to know. And listen, I get the question. I really do. It's, a, it's asked by well-intentioned people. I, I have no judgment towards anyone who has asked that question, but I just want to be really clear with you this morning. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. That's the question you ask when you think this is about money, but it's actually about something else. You see, that question, is it pre-tax or post-tax? That's as if you're asking, okay, Spencer, what box on the W-2 is God looking at here? Because I want to make sure God is good with whatever I, I put on the commitment card because I need to know what box it, he, it is checking here. And, and really, to be honest with you, you know what that question is really asking? What's the least I have to do? What, what's the least I have to do to get God off my back? What's the least I have to do for God to be happy with the commitment I've made? I'm telling you, it's, it's the wrong question. Because that question, it, it's assuming that this is about money when it's actually about something else. And when it's about something else, listen, you ask a totally different question. Um, I, I went to college in Tulsa. And when I was in Tulsa for, for school, I, I got involved in a local church. Um, my, my girlfriend, Abby Lowe, now Abby Smith, we we're college sweethearts. Uh, we used to go to church together at this Methodist church in Tulsa. And when we were there, they were doing a, a building campaign because they were landlocked and had grown and uh, they were relocating to another part of town. And so they had this very ambitious capital campaign that they were doing when we were just starting to go there, 18, 19 years old. And, and uh, we, were, we were going to church there. And, and there was this one particular Sunday that uh, has stuck with me for like the 20 years since it's been uh, that, I, that I went to that service. And I can't tell you how many church services I've been to in my life. And I don't remember like 99% of them, but I remember that one Sunday so strongly. In fact, like a couple weeks ago, someone asked me, hey, that thing you said in a sermon three weeks ago, can you repeat that to me? And I was like, hmm, was I here? <laughs> Not sure I can say it again. Let's go back to my notes. I have no idea. In and out, guys. But I remember that service so well. I mean, 20 years ago, it's like it stood in my, my memory and has formed so much of how I think about this. And, and basically what was going on was um, there was a video that was shown that Sunday of a, of a man who was in a field because the church was relocating to this, this field. And so they did this video from where the field was. And, and this man started to share his story about, about giving. And, and he basically shared that he and his wife were the couple who for years put $20 in the offering plate, whatever it passed when he thought about it. And if they're feeling really generous, like at Christmas, they might put in 50, Easter, there might be 100 kind of thing. And this was, this was their, their generosity practice. And, and then one year they decided that they were gonna start uh, to give a percentage. And so they started to give 1%. And they discovered that if they gave 1% at the end of the year, they're actually okay. So, so the next year they went up to three, and the next year they went up to five, and then seven, and then they got to 10 and they're giving a tithe and they were just like over the moon that they could give a tithe. They never thought they could something they could do. And they actually found that when they gave a tithe, they were better off financially than when they didn't, which is a common story that people talk about. The tithing actually will help your finances. And so giving a tithe. And, um, and then after a few years, this man said, we started to feel like God was calling us to do more. So we started to give 12%. And then a couple of years later, we started to give 15%. And then a couple years after that, we started to give 20 and then 22 and then 24 and then 26 and then 28. And now you're thinking to yourself, how high is he going to go? And he just kept going, kept going, kept going. And eventually he said, last year we gave away 
percent of our income. Now I'm 18 years old, 19 years old. I have no money in the world. But when I hear that story and it sticks with my heart so much because I hear that story and I'm like, that's who I want to be. Because that's the kind of person who's not asking the question, what box on my W-2? What's the least I have to do here? But that's the person who's asking the question, okay, Lord, this is all yours to begin with. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with what is already yours? This is the question that someone asks who understands that this is not about money. This is about God's grace. The gift that he has offered to each one of us, the gift of life, the gift of, of relationship, the gift of hope, the gift of eternal life. This is the one who understands that the son has been sacrificed for me to have a future and therefore everything that is mine is actually his and I can trust him with every area of my life. This is what happens when we understand it's about grace. We stop asking the question, what's the least I have to do? What's the box on the W-2 to get God off my back? And we start asking the question, what do you want me to do? And so now let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9. I wanted you to see what this was really about. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna skip ahead because we read the first part of this section from 2 Corinthians, it's about fundraising. And now I want you to, we're gonna read the last part. And this last part gets very practical about what does it look like if you understand that this is about grace, what does it look like to put this in practice? And here's what Paul writes, verse, chapter nine, verse six. He says, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice it doesn't say, each of you should decide what's the least you have to give in order to get God off your back. Is it pre or post tax? But he says simply this, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Why do you think that's so? Well, I don't know, because I'm not God, but I can take a guess. And my guess is that God loves a cheerful giver because when we give cheerfully, we are doing what God does. We're practicing generosity like God is generous. We're living into the character of God and we're acting and we're doing with what God is actually God's to begin with. We're being faithful with this. I think God loves a cheerful giver because it's, it's somebody who gives out of a relationship with him and understanding of, of, of the grace of God that he's offered to us. I think that's why God loves a cheerful giver. And so verse eight says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. It's a quote from Psalms. And then verse 10, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's easy to think, that what we're reading here is about money. It's easy to think that when we do commitment cards, they're about money. It's easy to think that every Sunday when we stand up here and we take an offering that it's about money, but it's not. This is actually about the grace of God. This is about the way that God has given his life, his son for you. This is about the invitation that he has that you might receive a gift in your life, the gift of his son, a relationship with him. This is, a, this is about how we might live in, in every area of our life, trusting in him. This is what this is really about. And this is why I'm not afraid to preach. This is not why we, we need to talk about this because this is really about, it's really about the grace of God. So friends, you can, you can hear these messages and you can think, well, okay, what's the least I have to do? 
What box on the W-2 do I need to look at? Or you can say, how do I trust God with every area of my life? And ask a much bigger question, a question that's like this. Okay, Lord, it's all yours to begin with. So what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So friends, this morning, I wanna invite you to, to realize this isn't about money. This is about the grace, the gift that God is offering to you of life with him. Let's pray together. So Lord, this morning, um, I, I just thank you for this gift. I, I can't talk about it enough. This gift that you have offered us in your son, this gift that you've given us of a relationship with you and all you want for us is just to receive it. And so this morning, maybe there's some folks here who, who have not received this or or maybe there's some people here who, who've wandered away and they need to come back to just receiving this gift of life, of forgiveness, of restoration, of hope, of just everything we need, it's found in you. And so if there's anyone here this morning who needs to receive this gift because you realize you're, you're not living in a relationship with the Lord, just a simple prayer you can pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin and fill my life with what you have for me. And God, as we receive this gift, whether whether it's for the first time or whether we've been walking with you for a long time, may we grow to trust you in every area of our life so that we stop asking what's the least we have to do. And we start asking, what does God want me to do? My life is no longer mine, it's his. My money is no longer mine, it's yours. My relationships are no longer mine, they're yours. And so Lord, what do you want me to do with what is already yours? Would you lead us and guide us and fill us with more and more of your grace? In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who died for us, we pray. Amen. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. 